This is the Motivity Podcast with Danielle. I'm your host. Thanks for listening today. Uh, I'm just trying to give visibility a little bit more to, um, you know, using um, two-factor authentications to authenticate some applications that we use every day, like uh, TikTok, like Instagram, like Facebook. I recently was hacked. I don't want anyone else to get hacked. But what I didn't have turned on uh, was a two-factor authentication, meaning that an authentication app like Duo, which I'll talk about in a second how to access Duo, connects a token to your cell phone. So that can make sure that you are you and that is the application you want to connect to. And this is your special code. I use an application called Duo. You could find it in the App Store. It's owned by Cisco. I work for Cisco. So, you know, second largest security company in the world. Why not use that one? It's great. It's free. Download it, you know, um, add these applications in. So you can add Instagram, you could add Facebook, and you could add actually a number of other applications. Uh, applications probably use Duo um, as their two-factor. So I would say, go ahead, download that, check it out. If you want to listen to my TikTok on how to get your Instagram back, my TikTok account is Danielle at Motivity. Um, I posted it in my account. Um, There's um, part one and part two. So if you need help or, you know, I would say you don't have to pay someone, you might have to wait a few days, but it is possible to get your Instagram account back like I did. So stay away, hacker. Um, secondly, um, we're talking all things security and security breaches. So what happens, like, you know, do companies have to have these retainers that if there is a breach, they could come in or if there's malicious, um, software that someone clicks on and they take over, um, data or they take over part of the network, you know, who do you call? So we're talking insurance for, um, a security breach, which I actually didn't even know that, you know, existed, um, but it's so smart. It makes so much sense. You know, they they actually assess how many um, vulnerabilities you actually have. So listen here, we're going to talk about, you know, what that insurance rider really looks like. And then also, you know, there's other points of entry that you want to think about, whether it's your home, uh, where you work, right? And there's a lot of pieces connected to the internet. And so as you have more devices connected to the internet, that means that there's more openings for hackers to get in. So how do you protect yourself personally, or how do you protect your company Um from any ransomware getting in, any malicious software, anything that you have to click on. I know it's hard, it's complex, but we're making it simple. And that's what I do on the Motivity Podcast. We simplify the tech chat for you to understand and for you to have interest in um, information technology and, and maybe getting into this sector. So listen here, enjoy the show. Again, subscribe to the Motivity Podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. And have a great day because it's almost the weekend and this is the best show you've ever heard. Bye. Motivity people. Thank you so much for tuning back into the podcast. And if this is your first time, the views, opinions, and information expressed on this podcast are solely intended just to educate you and inform you. And it's all based on Danielle's and her guests' opinions, research, and experience. This podcast absolutely does not constitute financial or investment advice. And the hosts are certainly not financial advisors, brokers, or dealers because, well, you just have to trust us on that one. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Motivity Podcast with Danielle. So good morning, Anthony Turner from Coalition. I am so excited to have you here. Um, Anthony is a software engineer. He's a security engineer. And we are going to take talk today about computers taking over our world and security being most important. Uh, we're going to talk about so many points of entry uh, within an enterprise, but how do you give thought leadership to operationalize platforms 
or software that you're installing in the enterprise? And, and how do you really look at talent and uh, what do we need to do with the talent that we have to make them better uh, and to really focus on, you know, solving problems, being tactical, right? And um, Anthony comes with a wealth of knowledge from the operational side. So as you purchase software or any kind of, uh, you know, software platforms or deployment, Anthony's going to give you a nice look into how to operationalize it, how to use the platforms to make sure that they're up and running and some best practices. So Anthony, first of all, hello, good morning. Good how morning. Today? <laughs> oh, I'm great. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm ecstatic to talk to you, um, you know, just because you come from big tech and now kind of working at this smaller, uh, I would say, are, you, are we a startup at this point? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, why don't you have like a quick pitch, uh, First of all, about Coalition, you know, where you guys are on your uh, funding rounds and what are you guys doing in the marketplace as it relates, um, you know, to uh, IT and technology? Absolutely. So Coalition is a cyber insurance platform. Um, we're currently Series E funded. Uh, and basically what we do, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, basically awesome. what we do is we try to help um, mostly mid-sized companies uh, track their cyber risk and insure them against uh, serious incidents like ransomware, for example. It's a, one that kind of comes up in the news a lot these days. Um, you know, cost is doubled in ransomware attacks. Uh, it's about $2 million per incident nowadays. Um, you know, pretty really really expensive, and it's something that could potentially uh, financially hurt a mid-sized company. And so, Coalition is there um, to do a couple things. One, you know, obviously we are part of uh, an insurance provider system, um, but what kind of makes it different is uh, we we are what we call active insurance. Um, so that means that we are actively monitoring the open internet uh, for new vulnerabilities. Um, we are able to watch what your company looks like as it is exposed to the internet. So your assets, your web servers and things like that. And we're able to proactively understand the risks to your assets using the information that we are able to gather from other public sources. And so we can let you know, hey, you're running this piece of software that has this vulnerability that's been exploited in the last day, you should probably close it. Um, and so that helps us with the process of quoting, that helps us with the process of, you know, ongoing work. And then Coalition also provides an incident response team to uh, these companies that work with us so that if there is an event, if there is a, a problem or something like that, you have access to the proper expertise to come in, help you fix the problem, help you remediate, and then help you send, get you on your way so you're in uh, good shape afterwards. So, Anthony, do you bring in your company kind of, you know, obviously prior to a breach, you would have some kind of retainer or monthly payment that you pay your company for these services? And so when would you engage someone like Coalition? You know, at, at what point, you know, at what point do you start thinking about, hey, I probably need this retainer in place? Like, is it a certain company size that you feel like is a good fit? Is it that, you know, we're getting more attacks from Russia? Like, what would be a good indicator to a company to say, hey, this is something that I really need to put in place? Um, I mean, I will say kind of the, the standing line among most security experts, at least right now, is yes, we are at a higher risk in general across the world for cyber attacks. We've seen them be on the rise over the past two years, an exceptional amount. Um, and so it is worthwhile to kind of invest in your security posture and understand if cyber insurance is the right thing for you. In terms of size, it's actually kind of hard to say. Uh, you know, you could have a 10-person company that lives and dies on internet services. Uh, and if something, you know, uh, 
gets attacked or, or taken down or something like that, that can bankrupt your company in a matter of days, potentially. So, I mean, there's that side of it. And then if you have, a, uh, I'll say, a less internet focused company, um, where your biggest asset is your internal network, um, you know, it might be a little bit longer before you decide you wanted to try to get uh, some sort of cyber insurance around it because you were aware that you have less of a platform to attack. Uh, but the reality is, is that coalition works with companies of all sizes. Um, and one of the great things about having active insurance in this way is that we can quote very honestly. Um, you know, we can look at your system authoritatively right. and say, hey, you're running these things. We know that this is at risk. And so here is your quote based on your configuration. But that also means that if you're running some really high risk piece of software, let's say, um, you know, we may, we may not say no. Well, what we may say is, can you go back and fix this? Or can you go back and, and take this out of the loop or do something about this and then come back to us and we'll look at it at that point. Um, and so it gives you a very uh, honest coding strategy. You know, the one that I always think about is, uh, you know, if you're a 16 year old boy and you buy a red sports car, your car insurance is going to be through the roof. Why? Historically, Teenage boys in red cars have more accidents than anyone else on the road, right? And so it's all based on historic data. Whereas Coalition looks where you are today and says, this is what you're doing. This is what you're running. And so this is what your risk is. Anthony, you're going to laugh. My first car was a red convertible. Like, And it's so funny. <laughs> Last night, I was actually looking at the car online. So it's funny. I think even girls are the worst drivers, too. I mean, I hit everything. Don't tell my parents. But <laughs> there is a reason we have high insurance. We stink at drivers when we first get on the road. So anyone listening. Um, but, you know, I, obviously, I, I'm familiar with why that is important. And looking at things connected, uh, you know, from the internet to your network is, is a key piece, right? So um, it's interesting that you can actually go through and see what software or uh, see what devices are talking to the internet. And that is a big piece of this puzzle. Uh, and, and like you said, if you have a lot of stuff that's just on-prem, it's a, it's a different scenario, but you have a lot of devices that talk to the internet and they all have uh, different software upgrades. And, and we know that those are all uh, vulnerabilities. So, uh, you know, a little food for thought there. There's a lot of entry points. Uh, so if you're a company listening and you connect <laughs> a lot of applications to the internet, you need to make sure that you're protected, uh, definitely. Andy, tell us a little bit about your background. We know we have this deficit, you know, in the security IT space. Uh, we are trying to attract more talent. Um, but talk to us maybe about like the attributes um, of someone's personality that you would say that might be a good fit or maybe, you know, why were you interested in this field and, and where did you come from? Like you're an expert. You, you, you've been recommended right to us and, and to talk to me. You are an expert, like kind of shine a little bit for us here and then, <laughs> you know, try to maybe attract some talent <laughs> as we're listening and talking. So I'll be honest, um, I started working with computers way before it was cool when I was still a teenager. Uh, oh, it, is, it, was, it was always it was, cool. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, at that time, the internet was a fad. It was definitely going to die off in five years. Um, definitely. But I started working with computers really early, uh, and I got into security mostly because I thought it was a really interesting way to look at problems. Um, you know, there are people who build things, there are people who destroy things, there, there are people who protect things. Um, I like building things. Uh, I like protecting things. I mean, I'll be honest, I've got a little bit of a destructive streak in me. I think most security people are like that. Yeah. But I think reality... And I like talking about things. So, you know, we all <laughs> come from different sides of the house, right? 
Absolutely. So. <laughs> and I think um, the biggest thing that I would say in terms of security people who are working, you know, kind of on the side of the industry, the protect side of the industry is to make sure that you kind of have a good set of morals that you're standing by. Um, I think when you're handed the keys to the kingdom and a lot of these companies, which when you're working in high security position frequently, that is exactly what's happening. When you're handed those keys, you have to really be cognizant of your responsibility in having that that privilege. You know, it means um, thinking through all of your decisions, but it also means things like thinking through what your attack vectors might be. You know, for example, if you're living in a high rise, you probably wanna make sure your Wi-Fi is secure because you don't want somebody getting into your Wi-Fi and then using that as a jumping point to get into, you know, some assets that you might have the keys for. And, you know, some people might look at that and say, that's, you know, ridiculous, that would never happen. The reality is is that in a it lot of the scale attacks it happens all the time and so uh you know having a good understanding of that is really super important but kind of beyond that stuff um a lot of it kind of comes down to the way that you think um you mentioned thinking tactically earlier and that's really exactly what it is uh it's about thinking about a problem from all sides um, one of the things that i really feel like when i look at security when it comes to application software security is that uh, a breach in security is the difference between what was intended and what was implemented. Um, you know, when you're writing software, no one intends to say, well, if you send a zero in here, then everything's going to crash. You know, no designer is going to say that unless they're really strange. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if the person who's implementing it doesn't understand necessarily that that's the case, it's easy to accidentally create a problem by uh, either a lack of understanding or a lack of thought about the problem in that way. And so a lot of security really comes uh, to, can you look at problems in a way that other people may not? Uh, and that really is where a lot of the value of especially specific, like security specific people in this field comes to. Right. And, and that's a good point. Like you kind of related to the person, like if you solve problems, you know, on your iPhone or you solve problems in your home, if you're looking at connection points in the internet and, and you're, kind of tactically working through a problem, right? Step one, it doesn't work. Step two, kind of, you know, if, if you have that mindset, so maybe, you know, if we're just kind of talking about some attributes of a personality, you know, if you're that problem solver that, you know, you kind of don't quit until it is fixed or it is protected or it's working properly or it's up and running, you know, uh, technology might be the space uh, for you, right? Uh, Absolutely. And, and I think that's kind of where we all, we all live and, and, you know, we, we work, right? We like solving problems and, and we get excited when the problems are more complex. Uh, but there, yeah. there are a lot of solutions to solve problems and there's a lot of resources out there. Um, and so, you know, as you get into this field, you kind of can land where you want. There's so many opportunities, I would say, um, especially, you know, as, as I see it. Um, Anthony, you came from big tech. I'm in big tech, right? You know, one of the big four or five <laughs> Microsoft, you know, we like, Cisco or, you know, we have Amazon now, right? Um, and, and Google, like these are big providers in the cloud, internet space, protection, security, you know, give us some, you know, maybe best practices as you are working on this operational team deploying technology. You know, what are, what are customers, you know, if you could give customers advice about deploying security products, what, what, what advice would you give um, maybe an executive listening? Well, the biggest one, and you kind of alluded to it again earlier, is uh, points of entry. Um, one of the hardest things to think about, especially when you get into very complex systems, uh, is how many different 
parts of different industries you're reliant on in order for something to work. Uh, for example, um, you have mm -hmm. a corporate we network. We have 20,000 examples. <laughs> we have tons of examples. Uh, <laughs> but if you're on a corporate network that runs, you know, let's go with Cisco hardware, right? You're yes. relying on Cisco at a certain level to do their jobs correctly, make sure that their hardware is secure, their software is secure, that it's not going to let something into your network. Um, and on that top is the best practice that we, from coming from my point, that is part of our life cycle management. We work with code. We make sure that that corporation is up to code on all their devices. That's part of, you know, what we do from a day to day. So, you know, if you're working with these big tech firms, work, make sure you work with your account team. Um, and that's part of, you know, your, I guess, you know, your strategy for the year. So that that's an important piece. It's funny that we don't normally bring attention to. Well, and yeah, you know, it, kind of, it, it comes down to everything, right? Your uh, HR payroll systems, that's another point of entry, right? You, you probably outsource to something else. You probably don't do that in-house or at least don't use all in-house products, um, you know, billing, contractor vendor management, um, all of these things, especially in 2022, these are generally outsourced uh, frequently to cloud providers. And so you are putting your security in one way or another in the hands of another company. And so when you're talking about risk assessment, when you're talking about risk really understanding where you sit uh, in, in terms of risk, you really have to take into account all of these different factors, the people factors, the uh, touch point factors, vendor factors, um, everything that you use as a part of your day-to-day -day business operations is something that really needs to have some amount of security put into it by various levels, various layers of people who are working on all these different pieces. And Anthony, that's a good point. You know, getting the security team involved as enterprises maybe buy new tech, new, you know, software, right? A, a new HR system, like you said, right? Making sure that the security team knows when there's patches being made or there's upgrades being made to that platform. You know, that, that is a key piece. Um, you know, and, and that's, that is great advice. What else? What else? That was a great so one. Give us more. I've uh, <laughs> I've come from backgrounds where I've actually seen a lot of customers have what is commonly referred to as shadow IT. Uh, shadow IT is what happens when a uh, group inside the business that is not part of the IT organization uh, decides to stand up their own uh, IT components. Um, I've seen things as interesting as running a second Active Directory instance inside of a company that already has Active Directory. Um, and usually the reason for this is that the perception is IT isn't moving fast enough or they're not getting the grants that they need for these different things from that organization. And so they basically say, okay, we'll, we'll do it ourselves to keep keep the business running. And that makes sense in a certain capacity, but the problem is it makes it so that you can't be holistic about your security decisions. Um, you know, if you do that and your IT team is responsible for making sure that they patch systems or, you know, keep certain things off the internet that are risky or what have you, if you have a shadow IT system, your IT department may not even know that some of this stuff exists. And so then it really becomes up to you to uh, make sure that everything is patched and on and off the internet. And for most business organizations, you know, if you're a research and development organization working on image processing, you don't have an IT background. You may not really understand what is necessary to do this stuff as well you shouldn't, you know, leave it to the IT team who spends their days doing all this. But it kind of comes back to that idea of being very holistic with all of your security decisions. Yeah, it sounds like two things. It's, again, it sounds like it goes back to operational. Like if you have operational workflows in place, um, you know, engaging the IT team to make those decisions is, is really what you have to, to rely on. They're there to, you know, make sure that the business is running, but they have the correct mindset 
also to make sure that the security vulnerabilities are not open. That's great. Anything else that you want to mention? Um, Honestly, besides that, I would say visibility is a really important thing. Um, You know, I talk about holistic decisions, but you can't really have holistic decisions without visibility. Um, You know, one of the things I pitched earlier about coalition is the fact that, you know, we provide visibility to internet facing assets for companies. um, And so that you don't have to do it yourself. You know, you may not know offhand how many things you have in your business that are uh, directly open to the internet, you know, especially when you're getting into larger and larger companies with over, let's say, over a thousand assets, you know, uh, if you were to ask an executive name for me, the 10 most important things that are facing the internet, you'd probably get a blank stare, you know, and, and that's, to how be do you though, how do you, how do you see all that? How, how do you do that from a visibility standpoint? Are, are you, you know, are you looking at kind of, um, you know, IOT software to identify all the assets that are hitting the internet or is it, you know, your proprietary software that runs that identifies it? identifies all the assets how do you so with coalition it's about identifying internet facing assets and so that is definitely a huge part of it because that i would argue is one of the largest attack surfaces um and but internally one of the things is having enough visibility in everything that you do so uh active directory is a great example that a lot of people go back to it gives you a lot of visibility into your servers your workstations your users because all of these things are linked up and talking to a central server that can do logging and you can do audit trails and tracing in case there is some sort of breach um, to go back and figure out what it started, what it affected, all that stuff's very important. And that's why visibility is important. Um, but even beyond that, some of the things that people frequently think about, you actually brought it up with IoT devices. Great example uh, is HVAC <laughs> well, I, systems. Where I live a little bit. So, <laughs> so H- HVAC systems is uh, an example that I absolutely oh, love to use in this one because you would be surprised how Great many example. HVAC systems have internet facing control panels. And this is not a joke. If you actually go into um, the coalition software, uh, which is coalition control, that's the the platform that allows you to kind of look across the internet and see these risks. um, You see a shocking number of HVAC systems that have control panels that are just open websites not even a username and password. It's just, what do you want the temperature in this building to be right now, a random person on the internet? And it's things like that, having visibility over those types of resources and assets that becomes really important because frequently it's the things that you least expect that are really the biggest vulnerabilities in your organization. And they give another example, the HVAC system obviously resonates with me because I've heard that before. Um, you know, I know other examples. I mean, I work in it with a lot of hospitals. So, um, you know, a lot of medical devices that are just outdated that are not running um, code and and not running the code. What does that do when you don't have that code? What vulnerabilities does that cause for the corporation? Uh, I mean, when you don't have the kind of like, if you don't have the, the visibility or the upkeep, let's say upkeep, that's, that's yeah, probably a good word for it. It's good. Uh, like, yes, there's, let's say upkeep, like talk about the vulnerability that just happened, you know, a month ago when if their code wasn't upgraded or they didn't push out the latest code right away and you didn't know the device was there, what would, what would that do to the enterprise or what would that, why would that cause an issue? So the, the, the big term in security is called lateral movement. 
Uh, and okay. it means that you enter you. in some part of a system and you move from that system to something else. And so, you know, uh, let's let's say uh, you have uh, home automation type of devices inside of your office, you know, uh, hue light bulbs or things like that. Um, yeah. These things potentially are Internet facing so that you can have control over them. Um, however, if someone manages to break into the interface that you know, does something as simple as turn your lights on and off, they can be behind the firewall of your network now. And so for a lot of companies, when you breach that perimeter in any way, even if it's that simple, it means that you have evaded a significant portion of their security because most enterprises put their focus on security at a perimeter level. Uh, so that's the trick, right, is to get around the perimeter. Once you're back there and you're behind that level, uh, getting into anything means that you can potentially move to any other device because there is significantly less security, significantly less protection and you get access to those assets that might not be internet facing, but might be running older pieces of software. And so now that you're on that private network, you can exploit that and move from computer to computer, steal user credentials, uh, and it becomes kind of a game of whack-a-mole when you have a breach, which is why you know visibility and audit logging is so important um, to make sure that you understand what all of this hit and where it came from. Like you're right, and Anthony's saying, you know, you're you're kind of relying on Hue to give you those software upgrades, right? You're you're relying on them to push down the latest code. But what Anthony's saying is, if there's like an opening, then then they can get to the HVAC system. Then they can just keep jumping and jumping because we know that there's openings. We know that they are going to get in. It's it's how far can you push them off, and how you know you make sure that they don't infiltrate the the core or the data or you know, then then we're in real, we're, we're in, then we're going into some bad yeah. areas. Yeah. And the reality is for most companies is that it is very expensive to do internal protection. I mean, if you're talking about layers of networks or layers of servers or layers of, of rights or whatever, that does drive cost up, you know, probably uh -huh. pretty naturally sounding. And so it is understandable that this is the perimeter is where most of this security lies, but it does kind of reinforce that whole point that you really need to try to make sure that your armor is as solid as possible uh, as, term, as far as the internet is concerned. Yeah, and you really need to make sure you know what's hitting from your network to the internet. You have to make sure and what companies and ask them, how do they do software upgrades? How are they pushing? What if they what if they get breached? How are they informing you of a breach? So maybe, you know, think about communication both ways too. Um, yep. You know, it's a big puzzle, right? It's a, it's a hard puzzle to put together, like we're saying, but there are ways, there are workflows, you know, you know, talk, talk to companies, you know, and get their opinions on how to do it. Um, you know, there are, there's a lot of information on that. We don't want to scare everyone. <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> everything's getting breached. No, we're not there yet. <laughs> but we know they're coming. Right. But we know they're a company. Maybe talk about um, what was the big breach that just happened um, uh, about two months ago? Uh, the JD4, the... Uh, the Log4J. The Log4J. There we go. So uh, you know, Log4J. Kind of yeah. And, and I was going to give that example because when we're talking about software upgrades, that, that was a you know, a big one. We all were talking about it. We pushed out code. You know, I know my computer had to get updated. My phone had to get updated. Everything that I was working on that hit the internet, they were pushing out updates really fast. So kind of maybe talk through how does that work from an operational standpoint and maybe what, what that breach was, because uh, it was big. So Log4J can be looked at as 
uh, essentially a supply chain problem. Um, and you'll hear this term come up in security more often now. And what it basically refers to is that something upstream of your application had a problem. In this case, it was the Log4j logging library, which is used in a ton of uh, Java applications um, and ports of it are used in other languages as well that had to be checked for the same vulnerability. Um, but what it means is that the applications that end up using that Log4j software, they are susceptible to the vulnerabilities that occur in Log4j. So, you know, if you have a hundred pieces of, you know, enterprise software that use Log4j, if there's a vulnerability, it is very frequently up to the maintainers of that software to see that there is a vulnerability in Log4j, to start using the new version of the library or mitigate the risk in some other way um, to try to keep the exploit from becoming a bigger problem. Now, Log4j is very interesting because uh, it does something on user input. So, you know, let's say you have uh, a service that takes in your first and last name and looks for an account, you know, something very simple, right? Um, you could send a specifically formatted piece of text as your name and have that server go do something that you are telling it to do by sending that specific payload of text. And that was literally what the log4j vulnerability was doing, is it was allowing people to take control of these servers running these pieces of exploited software and have them go and do other things. And now just briefly, we won't, won't go too deep into it, but kind of going back to our discussion about breaching the perimeter, that is a huge perimeter breach for a lot of companies. And so what the risk was for log4j was the ability to access internal assets, internal data, other services that could be used to acquire billing details or social security numbers, depending on the company. Um, that was what really was really at risk with the log4j vulnerability. That scares me. Um, and, and obviously we went <laughs> through it. First of all, that scares me that it, it happened that fast and it was obviously, you know, it was getting into internal data really fast and, and it was queuing up obviously systems and, and, um, and, you know, obviously causing a lot of problems, which we heard about, but Anthony, from an operational standpoint, how could, how does someone then correlate all the pieces that connect to the internet? How would someone look at that? Like, how would I even know, um, you know, what, what, you know, where to start? What would you do if you were in those shoes and, and you, you know, you were kind of running that enterprise, how would you help customers, you know, making so, sure that they had that that software or the latest software that they needed. In a perfect Sorry. world, your IT department kind of has almost what would look like a tree of what you're running in software and what it's dependent on. Because the reality is, is that tree is you know, 10 or 15 layers deep frequently when you get into really complex software of things that inherit other things, right? Uh, and so it's very difficult like to see. Like a topology see. or a exactly. or connections. And we talk about exactly. that. And, yes. <laughs> but the the reality is is that you know you really can't know that and a lot of companies they don't divulge that you know uh tell me what libraries are running to provide your car's infotainment system there is a way to find that out you could go to the licenses file but then you have to page through and figure out all the things that are on there and so it's a process right but not all companies will publish that information, which means that you may not even know that some piece of software is inheriting something that had a vulnerability so kind of going back to reality here is you have to have a good strategy for how you scan these pieces of software these assets 
again, mostly that are internet facing, uh, to make sure that they are not vulnerable to this. And so one of the one of the things that happens when a lot of these large exploits come out is security companies like Coalition jump to yeah. it and they create, um, you know, uh, proof of concept exploits to understand how to exploit it and then how to detect it. You know, go out to Detection. our coalition customers and say, hey, we know you have these 10 web services running. We've run our log4j scans against it. Three of them have a problem. Here's what we suggest that you go patch. And the reality is, is that's the more realistic strategy that you have right now. You know, obviously, everybody would love to know all the information about all the software they're running. But you kind of have to go back to being proactive about your scanning procedures and making sure that you're just consistently testing for these things that are kind of happening out in the wild. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. And, and I think to what your point communication is key. You have to make sure that you're staying up to date and, and someone like, you know, a company like this, you know, you would have that entry point, you get that knock on the door. Hey, we need to check and scan and see what's open or not. I mean, communication and we always talk about it right you got to stay up to date and if if there is a vulnerability or you heard about it from coalition or from cisco or whoever you're working with you know you right heads down get everything updated make sure all code is updated and yep. you know you, you just can't get you, you don't want to let anyone in because once they get yep. in then we're it's and a ticket seriously. Your insurance thing. policy is really going to go into effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. But yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Talk about ransomware a little bit. That, that's a big topic. Uh, obviously, we do some. You know, you could do these pen testing to make sure we don't click on websites we're not supposed to. I think I failed a few times, which you know, I think that's the point. But talk about how bad ransomware is. Um, maybe give an example or two. Uh, and what really happens and maybe some advice you could give to end users, right? Like even from a personal standpoint, like don't click on a bad website. Like you, if you get the text that blah, blah, blah is being delivered or you want a new vacuum, you probably didn't win the new vacuum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> ransomware in general relies on that concept I was talking about earlier, lateral movement. Uh, yep. So it infects one thing and then it uses the information on that one thing to move across different parts of a corporate network, spread itself. Um, sometimes it uses vulnerabilities and exploits. Sometimes it steals user credentials. There are a lot of different ways that it can move across the network. But the objective is spread as widely as possible. And then in the cases of most ransomware, it is encrypt all the files or at least all the usable files on a hard drive with a key that the customer does not have access to that is, you know, owned by the ransomware group, and then they are essentially extorted for money to get the decryption key for those pieces of uh, data. And sometimes uh, that data is exfiltrated to the ransomware group. So now they have a copy of your corporate records or what have you um, that they could potentially release if you don't pay the ransomware. We've seen that happen with groups like Conti. Uh, and they you know, will sometimes tell you that they delete uh, the data if you pay the ransom. It's kind of up to you whether or not you believe it. I imagine in some cases it's true. In some cases it's not. Um, 100%. But, yeah, exactly. And that's up to the person and call exactly. a company, you know, get advice. Don't just pay the ransomware, but yep. it, it, it's a I true mean, thing. And it happens. It happens. Ransomware is a big part of what coalition, you know, ends up working with because it is, it's common, unfortunately. And it's one of the most destructive things that can happen because it can bring your company to a halt. You know, you lose access to see, all of yeah. your critical programs, all your critical data, spreadsheets, documents, all this other stuff. You know, you're talking about bringing your company to a dead halt. Uh, and so, you know, there's a couple of things you could do. No to access, no internet access. You could go to paper. Exactly. I mean, it is a, it's, it's bad. I mean, it's, it's a and scary 
scary thing. And ransomware is one of those things that has implications to everybody, right? You know, we've talked about the IT team and their responsibility for making sure that things are patched and up to date. And all that's true. You know, things can get in through exploits. We've seen that get in through VPN software exploits, for example, recently. That was, that was some of the bigger ones. Um, but it also comes down to end users. You know, phishing is still one of the largest ways that any sort of attacker gets into a network. Um, and that is reliant on sending a user a fake email. Sometimes it's an SMS. Uh, to try to get them to click a link, download a piece of software and run it. Uh, and that kind of starts the whole train of dominoes even, there. Yeah. And that's relatable even to your personal email. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're inside a corporation, it's worse if you're not, right? If you're even just an end user and they want to get to your banking data, once they get in, you know, once they get in, they're in and they can see everything you're doing. So exactly. you know, just be they careful. Check the email address, you know, just, Kind of do your due diligence. You have to these days. Yeah. Um, and one of the scariest things about kind of going in this remote first or, or hybrid more work style that we've seen in the last couple of years is that people's computers in their houses have you know, kind of this uh, awkward position of a lot of people use their work computers for personal things. And by that, I mean, you know, like banking or checking your email, talking to your mother, you know, whatever, that it all happens. But I talk to my mother every day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> talk to your mother. That's that's the that's the right. kind of get um, But it, it means that those computers have a bit more of a fuzzy uh, look as to the impact on ransomware. But the reality is, you could be sitting at your home office desk, uh, and you could, like you said, you know, get an email saying you want a free vacuum cleaner, and you could click on it. And yes, it might encrypt your computer that's sitting on your desk. It might also use your connection into your enterprise to spread itself into your company and infect other users that way. And so it does become a responsibility of everybody in the company to try to do their due diligence. Um, you know, one of the things actually we've seen commonly recently is an email or an SMS that claims to come from the CEO of your company uh, that says, hey, please contact me immediately or, hey, do this. I need you to do that, whatever. Let's let's be honest. Most people are she probably not going to get emails She doesn't the send you a text. Right. Probably not. I would hope right. not. Uh, double check. I don't want to get know, a text. That probably mean I'm in trouble. So. Use your in-band uh, office communications to double check yes. if you're really not sure on this stuff. But the, the, the overall takeaway is do due diligence when it comes to trust because, you know, uh, trust, trust but verify. Yes. Trust, verify, use, you know, these, you know, dual multi-factor to get into websites, use encryption for passwords. We say this a lot, you know, I, I tell people, I try to teach as many people as I talk to, but the, you know, these little things are, are very important and, you know, kind of be careful, be careful what Wi-Fi you connect to, you know, don't go to open source. If you don't know the Wi-Fi connection, don't connect to it. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, you got to have security top of mind. It's not going away. It's just getting worse. Um, yep. Andy, talk a little bit about, you know, how bad it is right now in Russia and, and what, what's going on there uh, and, and how, you know, that they're really, they're really hitting us hard right now. Um, and, and I just want to, you know, kind of plug it a little bit to keep it top of mind. So 
Yeah. So what I can say about that is that, you know, from both the Russian and the Ukrainian sides of this, um, you have activist groups or they, it's actually called hacktivist groups because they are hacker collectives uh, that generally are aligned with some sort of governmental interest. And so what we're seeing at this point is you have uh, Russian hacktivist groups that are attacking uh, Ukraine as well as nations that are supporting the Ukraine effort, including the United States. Um, and then you have the Ukrainian hacktivist groups who are attacking you know russia and in some cases china but that's a little bit less common um and you see this increase in traffic over the internet um there's going to be a lot of people who look at that and say well fortunately my company doesn't do anything with either country so we're good but the reality is is that there is a lot of kind of shotgun blast style hacking attacks and so you know you can still get swept up in a campaign even if it was not necessarily originally intended for you or your organization yeah, so just be careful. I know I'm getting these random text messages that I won, again, the vacuum cleaner, or I have to pick up this, or, you know, I'm protected, okay? Obviously, I work for Cisco, and we're the, one of the largest security companies in the world, but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm okay, right? I still have to be careful about clicking on things. I mean, obviously, they have a bunch of phone numbers, and they're reaching out. Just kind of be careful. You know, again, use best practices, have security top of mind. Don't click on anything. Just be in high alert right now. We, we know Absolutely. that this is a, it's a hot topic. Um, Anthony, any last words? Any, you know, I think this is a great conversation. I didn't realize, you know, I, I'm now learning about the insurance business of security, which, you know, to me makes so much sense and is so important because if there's a breach or, um, you know, your company goes down, who do you call? It's kind of like calling Ghostbusters, right? It, it's like picking exactly. up the phone and knowing that there's a team that could come and help you. And, you know, it's, it's the 911 of, I have just gotten hit. I'm locked down. I can't get to anything. I'm getting, you know, this red button in my computer. Who do I call? And, and I think, I think this is such a, a great, you know, offering. I really do. So congratulations and, and raising money and guys are Thank coming, you, yeah. you know, you're coming up in the market. So that's exciting. But any, anything you want to add? What I would say is just kind of remind everybody, you know, the world is becoming a digital first economy. Uh, the estimate is that 65% yeah. of global, global GDP is going to be digitized by the end of this year. That's uh, a huge number. Um, and we see security attacks only climbing, ransomware attacks only climbing. Um, and having a good plan, um, potentially including coalition's active insurance system, uh, is really what's key to understanding your risk, uh, being able to recover from an incident. Uh, as well as, you, like you were saying, kind of having that 911 emergency response team um, to come and help you out where you may not have the expertise immediately available in your company to work on things. Um, you know, one of the things that Coalition were really proud of is that 75% of the time when you have a funds transfer fraud that occurs, um, whether that be from ransomware or something else, um, we're able to get 100% of that money back. Um, and we also have, uh, we, we know that... Uh, about almost half of our incidents are resolved at no cost to the end company at the end of it um, after the uh, incident has been triaged and the ransomware has been removed and all that other stuff. So, you know, we I'd like to think we have a great track record um, and that we can really be there to help uh, these, you know, small to mid-sized businesses be much more successful. And I say that, by the way, just because the large companies like Microsoft, Cisco, Google, they all have their own insurance companies. They're basically self-insured. So they have this too. It's just, have, it's yeah. much more expensive for them to have it. And so, you know, your 500 person company can't really afford to be self-insured most of the time. And that's really where we step in with a lot of this uh, cyber insurance and especially the active insurance offer. Offering. 
Yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you get in an accident. I know, you know, I got in an accident recently and I didn't even know what my step one was. Right. So it's kind of like that step one of, of who to call. And I, I feel like if you, you, you think about that, and you kind of take a step back. Uh, it, it's definitely important. And, and you guys really could come and help companies out. Right. You're a huge benefit. So, uh, Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like the listeners really can understand where you're coming from. I mean, you taught them so much. Uh, kind of giving best practices and giving that operational uh, deployment mind and what to do with software and deployment and communication, I think is all key. Any last words? Just remember, it really is everybody's responsibility, you know, use different passwords for different websites, use multi-factor authentication, all these good security practices that everybody should be doing nowadays, especially as the world is becoming much more digital. And remember a lot of things at the the internet, a lot of digitalization, Um, you know, there's a lot of holes, there's a lot of openings. So figure out what's hitting your network and protect yourself. So absolutely, uh, definitely. It is your responsibility. You're right. Uh, Again, thank you so much. Uh, Have a wonderful day. This is the Motivity Podcast with Danielle. We had Anthony Turner on from Coalition and uh, we hope that you enjoyed because this was an awesome show. So have a great day. 